We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined on the telephone this evening by regular commentators, Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. And we'll begin this week's show with talk of Taiwan moving to a level 2.5 coronavirus alert from its current level 3 alert. The concept of a 2.5 alert was proposed by Tony Chen of the National Taiwan University's College of Public Health. And speaking via a virtual press briefing on Wednesday, Chen explained that as the number of coronavirus cases has remained below 200 this week, Taiwan's basic reproduction number has dropped to 0.46, indicating epidemic prevention measures are being effective. Chen says the Central Epidemic Command Centre could use a 2.5 level alert as a transition from level 3 to level 2 for a couple of weeks. And he told reporters that Taiwan has already achieved two of the four recommended criteria for downgrading the alert. Those being that a majority of medical staff have now been vaccinated against the coronavirus and that the wearing of face masks and adherence to social distancing guidelines are now being met by some 90% of the population. However, he went on to say that Taiwan has yet to vaccinate all residents at long-term care facilities and the elderly, and the government has yet to properly promote widespread coronavirus testing in the workplace, at home and within local communities. Chen says a level 2.5 alert could allow gatherings of 30 to 50 people indoors, so restaurants and stores will be able to resume business on a limited scale. Health Minister Chen Shih-jong hinted that he's not ruling out the possibility of downgrading the level 3 coronavirus alert. However, he stressed this week that any such move will likely not be island-wide but instead based on the situations in certain areas. Now the level 3 alert is currently set to end on June the 28th and Premier Su Jung Chung on Thursday said that ah well things are moving in the right direction at the moment but he went on to stress that the government firmly believes that Taiwan doesn't have the luxury of easing the current restrictions. While Deputy Health Minister Shui Yuan says the next 10 days will provide the basis for any decision as to whether the level three alert will be extended beyond its current june 28th deadline so of course ross do you think any down downgrading of course will be jumping the gun at the moment because of course the government could look at what other countries have done when they've jumped up and down gleefully and gone we're downgrading our alert and well it's all gone badly wrong several weeks later well, why look to other countries? Uh, we've been told for a year and a half that uh, Taiwan knows exactly what it's doing, and it's the model to follow. So hopefully the leadership that you just referred to are confident in, in their abilities to make these analyses and, and implement the appropriate policy. The concern, I think, is actually, though, uh, possible of a divergence of opinion. So we see uh, an expert uh from from uh, university making recommendations based on the facts, but then on the other hand, we see government officials want to take a very very conservative approach, uh, which is understandable, if for no other reason than the political risk of, of getting it wrong. Uh, but uh, again, you know, this divergence of opinion, and then the fact that one of the officials you cited said, "Well, the next ten days." Well, the risk there is that they wait, you know, too long, too close to June twenty eighth, and keep everyone in doubt. So uh, certainly for industry, they want some certainty as to whatever the the decision will be. As for the broader public, of course. Uh, So waiting 10 more days while taking us right up to June 28th, is that what he really meant? Uh, I think we'd all be better off if they make a decision and uh, explain clearly why they did so. 
uh, maybe give us some insight into when, I mean, if they do maintain level three, then give us some insight, uh, transparency. And, and to be fair, there, uh, I think uh, central and local governments throughout the last uh, month plus have been fairly transparent on, on the actual number of, of uh, confirmed cases and where the cases are and things like that. They're not being transparent about vaccine purchases, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but, but I do think there's a risk of a divergence of opinion, uh, which gets mixed in with political considerations, and then they leave us all with a bit too much uncertainty, which will add to public frustration. Brian. So this is my question that gets asked at every press conference, basically. When will we lifting a level three? Uh, before people are asking, well, when will we be moving to level four? Um, I think what's interesting to look at is the general pattern for local governments and the central government throughout the outbreak so far is a pattern of escalation. So when we're at level two, three, two, level two for example, Taipei Mariko and Joe was saying that he was hoping to move to quasi-level three. He said that Taipei City would be moving to quasi-level three, and it was not very clear what that meant. But then other uh, city mayors are imitating him, saying that they were also doing that. Uh, this led to the Central Epidemic Command Center, the CECC, stating that there was no quasi-level 4 once things actually did move to level 3. That didn't stop Paoyori, for example, for saying that, well, New Taipei is, is going to go to quasi-level 4, preparing for quasi-level 4. And so there's this kind of semantics. And so if there's a 2.5 that is actually in the same vein, uh, you know, for example, right now we're technically not in level 3, but strengthened level 3. That's a matter of semantics, uh, a strengthened version of level 2. Uh, but I think the public is not going to be in a rush to downgrade. Uh, I think that city government and the central government will also not be in a rush to downgrade, given this kind of pattern so far. And so calling for something like level 2.5, whatever the specific measures of that do consist of, would not really surprise me. Um, I think that, yes, it's correct that uh, industry is going to be wondering about timeline, uh, particularly hoping to have a, a sense of when things will get back to normal. It's true that restaurants are also affected. And I think uh, just looking at someone's economy, the service sector industry is incredibly large. And so this actually does affect a lot of people. But the question is then how to prevent uh, undetected strains from resulting in a sudden exposure of cases. I think also there is the tension between the greater Taipei area and the rest of Taiwan in the sense that it is greater Taipei that is the most hit and which has the most daily cases. Um, this is dropping now in Taipei. A new Taipei will follow eventually, hopefully. Um, but in that sense, I think that there probably will be contention between Greater Taipei and other parts of Taiwan if, for example, uh, it's only Greater Taipei that is, is, is in uh, uh, restrictive measures while the rest of Taiwan is under more loosened measures. Uh, Cohen just brought up, for example, in press conferences that uh, the alert statuses for uh, Taiwan or any place need to be in sync with each other because of the fact how easy it is to affect other areas because transportation occurs so often between different areas in, in Taiwan. And so I think also a lot will have to take into account just uh, the reaction of the public when measures are lifted, because immediately when that happens, people start going out, and people are generally in a rush to just go out and celebrate once the alert level is lifted, as we've seen elsewhere in the world. But even also when an alert level is escalating, because people will like try to enjoy their last night, for example, before, they cannot go out to bars and restaurants and, and that sort of thing. And so I think these are, are measures that must be kept in mind. And so I think it's a, it's a question that's timeline. I think that we're just kind of waiting on the CDCC to make an announcement at this point. And, in the court. and Ross, I mean, obviously Brian made a point there that Taiwan is rather a small place, and with some government officials saying that, well, we could we could opt to sort of change the levels, but not island wide on a local scale. I mean, do you think that could, that could cause bigger problems? Well, I mean, that goes to the uh, uncertainty that I mentioned earlier, uh, part of, uh, also towards the divergence of uh, opinion among uh, experts or politicians 
uh, I, I don't think that's beneficial to have dramatically different policies in, across different municipalities. And then again, uh, unfortunately, that would also go to the politics of it all, where uh, so a politician from Party A does something different than a politician from Party B. It's not necessarily uh, on the basis of good or bad science or, or medical advice, uh, but they're doing it just to be different than the other side. Uh, and, and there's a significant risk of that as well. Again, I, I don't think that's to the public's benefit, but we, unfortunately we have seen throughout this process an element of that where uh, you know, I, I don't like what you're doing, and, and it seems to be driven more by politics than um, you know, good, good factual basis. And again, I'm referring to uh, a different policy approach from a central government uh, versus a local government. Uh, and we even saw recently uh, Bear Ho of New Taipei uh, said he had asked President Tsai to uh, try and counsel uh, DPP politicians not to be so critical of him. I mean, he felt he's just doing uh, the best based on the facts that he understood them. Uh, but politicians seem to uh, be, you know, city councilors seem to be criticizing him just for the sake of, of, of criticizing him. Uh, that may or may not be an accurate view. Maybe the criticisms were, were accurate, but look, we all want the same thing, which is for people to be safe. Uh, but we also uh, need to recognize we shouldn't overdo it either. Uh, so, again, it, it, it really seems to be the same issues are at play. So, Brian, what, politics over priorities there. Yeah, I think it's definitely the case that politics is in place particularly with uh, local governments versus the central government. And so that's why you have uh, debates, for example, or controversies regarding vaccine allocation, uh, with Panzu government accusing the central government, which is Pan Green, of course, because of the time administration being in power, that is distributing less vaccines to them and more vaccines to, for example, Kaohsiung. Uh, Kaohsiung is, is obviously the, uh, one of the major cities in Taiwan, but it is receiving more vaccines sometimes than Taipei or Greater Taipei, or at least that's what it would appear. Uh, so the central government will point to, for example, well, you know, some of these vaccines are meant for the military. Uh, this is in mind categorization category uh, that are uh, categories that are eligible for being vaccinated that have not been vaccinated, uh, which in percentage of medical personnel have not been vaccinated in Kaohsiung versus other area. But this kind of really does not, uh, it's going to take hold. Um, city governments still will continue to criticize the central government. And so I think particularly if you see more regional policy being rolled out, you'll see these factors accentuate. You'll see, for example, uh, Pan-Blue government's moving in a single direction, while pan-green governments move in a different direction. Uh, they might just align in that way. And so that's something that the government has to deal with. And I think that throughout, there's been this kind of pattern of attacking each other. I mean, beyond the scenes, the honest, the central and local governments are cooperating. Otherwise, there's just no managing the COVID-19 response. But they oftentimes will attack each other on the issue of lags in information reporting, uh, this issue of uh, resource distribution. Uh, Taipei City has alleged the Department of Health many times, for example, claiming that vaccine doses have gone missing, and then the central government responds that, well, no, they're actually already sent out. Uh, those kind of issues. So that would actually become worse if there is um, more regionally divided policy being rolled out. And there was also talk of expanding coronavirus testing this week, with the Food and Drug Administration on Thursday announcing that it's approved the domestic production of one type of rapid coronavirus test kit for home use. Now, according to the administration, the product is one type of antigen rapid test for diagnosing coronavirus, which detects certain proteins in the virus by using a nasal swab to get a sample. Now, the positive results offered by using the antigen rapid test, apparently according to the FDA, achieved an identical rate of 94%. 
with those using PCR testings. Now, the at-home rapid test has been developed by TyDoc Technologies, and the FDA says mass production of the test kits will soon begin. But it also says that TyDoc Technologies still has to prepare a product instruction manual, sales channels, and a video showing the testing procedures before it will be allowed to put it on sale at pharmacies and medical device stores. So, a home home test kits for everyone, Ross. Of course, my brother, obviously, he is in England. He got many, many home test kits last year, but apparently they're not as quite as maybe correct as certain people would have us believe. Yeah, my first reaction here, Gavin, is to say uh, more stuff to put in the medicine cabinet along with all the other stuff uh, we have in there that we don't often use, you know, medicine uh, that we don't finish and things like that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you, you make a, a good point. Is, is, is There's something that people should be doing at home uh, and will people have the proper knowledge how to do it uh, accurately uh, that remains to be seen whether or not this particular uh, technology this brand uh, is, is the magical solution for that for that challenge and then also what will people do with with this information anyway uh, but now we're we're scanning QR codes to enter every uh, uh, retail store, most office buildings, uh, are we going to have to upload this information to an app as well, since uh, the government seems really good at rolling out these kinds of apps. Uh, Hopefully, there'll be a really easy-to-use vaccine appointment app as well. There's been some problems there. But, uh, okay, we we all stock these things at home, but then what do we do with the information? Um, That that also remains to be seen. So, uh, I'm not quite sure uh, whether or not this is a a, solu- uh, a solution in search of a problem, though, because, uh, again, I mean, if people were feeling so unwell, they'd go see a doctor anyway. I mean, Brian, do you see problems with this home testing? So are people jumping to the wrong conclusions? So, um, yeah, it's part of these broader efforts to expand testing. Uh, with more neighborhood testing sites rolled out, uh, companies being allowed to provide COVID-19 testing and so forth. And so the extension of that is moving it to home. And at the same time as this occurs, for example, there's discussion of having uh, for example, mobile vaccination teams that do travel to the homes of the elderly and people able to move around. And so it's hoped that this allows for catching asymptomatic strains. You know, so if people are feeling cautious and, well, maybe I have it, they can test themselves. And to be honest, I think that sometimes there will be cases in which people test themselves, uh, get a result, but eventually they have to test it professionally yet again just to confirm this. Um, and so the CC has had some reservations about home testing, I believe, because of the fact that uh, what do you do with this information once you have to test results? Uh, you need to have some process for uploading it, uh, sending it online so that the government knows about it, and then ensuring that the people who do test positive, for example, there's a standard operating process for getting them into quarantine. And so I think there's fears, for example, that people will test positive with a kit and they'll be afraid and they won't want to report it. They won't do a responsible thing. They'll try to just go into hiding or, or something like that and not go in. And so in that case, that doesn't solve the problem. It could even make it worse because then you do have someone actively trying to avoid public, uh, public oversight, uh, but who is COVID positive. And so that raises the question. I think particularly uh, with these kind of apps being rolled out, uh, with the issues communicating with the public, the government does really need to do, make it very clear as to how this process will, should be conducted, um, about what people should do once they have positive test results, uh, where they report, and so forth. And there's also the possibility that we'll see a backlog, because apart from the fact that Taiwan did not have enough testing capacity at the start of the outbreak, uh, there's also these backlogs in just processing it. Uh, the tests, just uploading the test results, uh, going through the process of paperwork and so forth. And so those are just simplified. When you do have all these different home kits going around, this could actually potentially lead to a bureaucratic backlog, and that, that creates issues as well. 
Well, <laughs> I'm not sure we've made any progress on this topic. What are we going to do with these test kits? Uh, do we really need to spend money on it? It's certainly not a, a solution uh, to the challenges of vaccinating more people as well. Uh, that really should be the focus at this point. Uh, it, it's a little odd. We're talking about the, the likelihood of, of moving to a 25 uh, and, and the data seems to indicate we should go in that direction, not, notwithstanding conservative approach of politicians. Uh, but now we're also talking about uh, doing you know, home testing when we should have done mass testing in Taiwan maybe a year ago or six months ago. So, again, I'm going to stick to my position that maybe this is a solution in search of a problem. And Brian, and why don't you think the government wanted to start it six months ago? Because they, they, they oohed and aahed about it and said it will overload the, met, the, the health system here and it could cause problems. But now, there's a, now there's, it's resulted in a problem with no t- hardly any testing. Mm, yeah, so the concern about uh, mass testing or, or general testing or universal testing population was that this would create enough false positives that you would have to hospitalize all of them, and then that would overwhelm the hospital system. And so that's why the government did not go with that approach originally. Uh, but then in response to the current outbreak, the one that broke out a month ago, uh, there is limited testing capacity. So you want to direct that where it is uh, most necessary, um, with the greatest likelihood of fighting cases. And so that's why there was not general testing, because there's this lock There's a created a massive backlog when there was already more. There was already a backlog. And so this would make the process slower. For example, there was calls to general test all of Wawa, which would create delays when at a point in which only 10,000 tests were being processed per day because of the, the size of the population. And so that would also create issues just knowing how much COVID-19 cases there were. Um, but now it seems like testing capacity is higher. And so I think that's why the government is actually a little more open to the idea of uh, how tests now, that they can actually deal with this. And that if there are, for example, if, for example, just everyone starts buying these home test kits and testing themselves and that there are uh, sufficient false positives, it's not enough to overwhelm the system because capacity has been boosted. Um, but then I think that uh, because of the fact the test kits have been slow to roll out, this will actually come after the current outbreak. I think these will be more used as a measure to prevent future uh, COVID-19 outbreaks. Um, once we're trying to vaccine everybody, but probably we're not going to have enough vaccines for some time. And so I think this is more what the measure we're moving towards. Because I think COVID-19 is really in the community now, and so I think the question is really how to deal with it from the future. It's very hard to return to that previous state in which there was just absolutely no COVID-19 and so on. And, of course, new type Mayor Hoyoe, Brian, last week said that more people should go to testing centres, which seems to go against the CDC and the Central Epidemic Command Centre's edict of don't go near a testing centre unless you're very sick. Yeah, that's right. And so this is an interesting thing, because Ho is stating that uh, in the past few days, in the past week, he's saying that a lot of asymptomatic cases are coming up from testing. And so for him, this is a positive, because this is finding undetected strains. Uh, the CDC is more open now to uh, asymptomatic cases going there or people that don't have any symptoms being tested because testing capacity is higher. In the beginning, it wanted to really reserve this capacity for only cases that are symptomatic because you know those people probably have a greatly like, greater likelihood of having COVID-19. Um, but I think also there's room for conflict between central and local governments regarding testing kits. For example, Hoyoe stated that he's trying to work with new type A uh, test kit manufacturers to ensure that highly effective and inexpensive tests are being developed and calling on the central government to cooperate. I mean, I think the central government's already been looking at this idea for some time. It's not like this suddenly occurred to Ho, but, uh, and then that only had thought of it. But the central, but, but central government doesn't have the potential to be uh, upstaged by local governments if they seem proactive on this front. And the central government is not. And so I think this particularly might be what Ho is aiming at. It's, it's just 
odd. We, we seem to be behind a bit. We were behind on testing. We're behind on vaccines. Uh, we're saying we don't have the ability. We didn't have the ability for various reasons to achieve this. Uh, but these are all things that uh, are certainly within the capabilities of uh, Taiwan, whether at, at the central or local government level. Certainly, financially, within the ability to have made per- uh, the, to have made the purchase of testing kits, uh, even if there wasn't something locally, then importing something, and to roll it out uh, very broadly as well. And the same goes for vaccines. Uh, you know, there, there's plenty of uh, ability here to have purchased vaccines, the financial ability, as well as the ability to uh, roll out that uh, mass vaccination. So uh, it, we seem to be stuck, I would say, more in the politics. And Brian just mentioned to it, right, a, so a kind of a dispute between New Taipei and the central government uh, about uh, home testing kits or, or implement developing and implementing technology. Uh, we just seem behind on some things that uh, are certainly within the capabilities of Taiwan to actually achieve. Uh, and uh, you know, maybe there'll be a political accounting for some of these things after the current situation is resolved. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week. Now, there was quite a bit of coronavirus vaccine news popping up in the news here in Taiwan this week as local drug maker Medigen on Tuesday announced that it's filed an application with the Ministry of Health for emergency use authorization of its coronavirus vaccine. The Food and Drug Administration has confirmed receipt of the application and Administration Director Wu Shoumei says her office is planning to compare Medigen's trial data with that of ongoing studies of AstraZeneca vaccine recipients when the EUA review begins early next month. Now, the announcement by Medigen comes just days after the company unblinded the results of its Phase 2 clinical trials, in which it said, well, they raised no major safety concerns and produced initial data that was generally well-received. Medigen also says that it's hoping to arrange Phase 3 clinical trials with a goal of having its vaccine recognised internationally. Now, the KMT on Wednesday called on the government to procure more doses of what it called safe coronavirus vaccines with high efficiency, with Vice Chairman of the KMT's National Policy Foundation saying the government should only use domestic vaccine candidates as a backup to imported ones, as they have basically only simply recently completed their phase two or they're still in phase two trials and they've yet to begin their phase three trials now the statements follow the release of a survey by the kmt which shows that most people here in taiwan want imported coronavirus vaccines now according to the kmt communications committee chairwoman wang yu min the survey shows that moderna pfizer biontech astrazeneca and johnson and johnson's vaccines are the top four that most people want to well have shoved in their arm here and wang also told reporters that the survey showed that the coronavirus vaccine candidates being developed by Taiwan's Medigen and United Biomedical are the least popular. So, Brian, I mean, there we go. The Medigen taking it further, hopefully getting an EUA, but the KMT poll saying, well, maybe hold on their hoss, maybe keep the domestic ones for just emergencies only. Yeah, so I think uh, the results don't surprise. I do think that the public probably does prefer uh, imported vaccines because these have proven to have effectiveness and are, just do seem to be safe. Uh, at the same time, I think particularly for the KMT, if the shoe was on the other foot and they were in power, and they would probably be relying on domestically manufactured vaccines, potentially as well, if not from uh, imported vaccines from China. And so I think it's one of those issues that it's become locked in part of the politics. 
uh, the KMT will probably try to attack the vaccine and efficacy no matter what the results are, um, no matter what the conclusion is, and to attack this process as one that's lacking in transparency or which is against international standards and so forth. And so a lot of this is leveraging, I think, on the fact that people don't really know what international standards are and then it becomes an object of partisan debate as to what they are because, in truth, it does differ from country to country. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be a challenge because, uh, I mean, there are other polls which do suggest the public is willing to take uh, domestically produced vaccines, but that's the question then. Um, vaccines are the way out of the pandemic. However, uh, with the lack of phase three, it's a question then, are people going to have faith in this? I mean, the Tide administration, for example, did try to point to that the phase two was larger than a normal phase two trial because of the fact that there would be no phase three trial. Uh, Medigen is moving towards doing phase three in other countries. And so it's possible that eventually the public will have faith in these vaccines once that phase three completes. Um, but then also, if it just it rolled out uh, in July, um, that will be a de facto phase three trial on the general population. So it'll be seen. But I think then you have this discourse in the media of, of whether, for example, the public are being used as lab rats by the side administration. And so that's where the KMT is making its uh, line of attack at present. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a question because, uh, for example, if you're looking at the international standards, there's a debate about immunobridging, uh, just going from the results from the phase two trials and just trying to uh, predict what the results are when you apply this to the general population to determine efficacy that way. And so this has not really been done by other countries, but the uh, CECC consulted with the US FDA regarding this, and the US FDA's results was that, well, we don't have a verdict on this. Uh, we haven't thought it through. And so it does seem like potentially other countries, such as South Korea, might be leading in this direction. That's going to be seen. Um, however, either way, the family media has uh, framed this as being a blow to the CDC. And this is a blow to its political legitimacy that this indicates the U.S. FDA has disapproved of immune bridging. And in the meantime, you'll see the pan-green media kind of spin it the opposite way. That, well, this seems it's still an open verdict that it's still possible and there's no conclusion, but maybe we can try it out. And so I think it'll become locked in this debate, and I don't, I don't see that as being resolved anytime soon. Um, I think particularly, though, it's possible that if this goes on and there's no vaccine coming in, the tan blue camp might be a little less harsh on domestic vaccines uh, because of the fact that these people will want to eventually go out and just not stay at home all the time, and it's also that someone will not see um, vaccines coming in. Uh, to the extent, though, I think it's also worth keeping an eye on as to the possibility of Taiwan obtaining the rights to manufacture vaccines, because there is news, for example, that Taiwan has been talking to the U.S. or American companies to do this kind of thing. And so that's another development to keep an eye on. Well, I think we have to have confidence in, in uh, the regulators here in Taiwan that they'd only uh, permit this vaccine when it's safe and effective and on the basis of good science. So the question remains, when will that happen? So... If it does get to that point, notwithstanding the polls, then, then I think we could be confident in the safety of the product. But uh, the question remains, when will that happen? And then let, let's assume that it does happen, because it looks like eventually they might get there. Uh, but because of those polls showing that people, uh, as of now, prefer the globally recognized vaccines and not the made-in-Taiwan version, uh, you know, people might say, no, I don't want the made in Taiwan. I, I want the, the imported ones. So there's still going to be a rush of people or, or, or a heavier demand for the imported ones. And we might have uh, medical service providers saying, well, no, I can only give you uh, the Taiwan one today. If you want the imported one, you're going to have to go line up and wait uh, for, for a date some point in the future. So how that's all going to play out is, is something worth watching in the coming weeks and months and or certainly worth watching. Uh, once we get to the point where the government regulators do approve the made in Taiwan vaccine. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the ways that this is going to cause, and, and Brian referred to some of them, 
that's going to be problematic. Again, it's going to be problematic, to, not just for individuals who want to go about their daily business here in Taiwan, but it's going to be problematic for businesses as well, and certainly for the need for travel and overseas travel if foreign governments are, are not going to be welcoming of ta- inbound Taiwan travelers who, who only provide proof of having the Taiwan vaccine. And talking of overseas travel and vaccines together, well, China's Taiwan Affairs Office this week announced that some 62,000 Taiwanese have received the Chinese-manufactured coronavirus vaccine. Now, the Central Epidemic Command Centre said that between 400 to 600 Taiwanese nationals are basically been, well, they've been popping over there every few days to get vaccinated, and then possibly, most some of them have been popping back. And, of course, it's also happening with America, Brian. Taiwanese nationals with, R, with US passports are getting on aeroplanes to go to America to get vaccinated and apparently demand for tickets to the US is now soaring. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise. I think that just uh, in uh, times like these there will be people that travel to try to get vaccinated. Um, so it's actually interesting to how this reflects the, uh, how Taiwan is caught between China and the US. So there's some people that go to the US and some people that go to China. Um, and I think that is very difficult then to regulate what happens going forward. Um, this has led to more fights being added to the U.S. Um, in terms of China, the CC has disputed uh, China's numbers that's not that high um, because of the fact that travel is pretty consistent to China. There's not been a significant uptick. Uh, similarly, that's what the CC claims about the U.S., but I think, um, you know, that's also one to, to be a little skeptical of that. Um, so I think particularly then for China, I mean, it's used as a way to attack Taiwan and the Tide administration claiming it represents the failure of the Tide administration to get vaccines. Uh, for the U.S., there has not been any comments, but I think particularly... Uh, if you have to take a stronger stance on accelerating, for example, the, the vaccine donations that is announced or more vaccine donations, I think this has become less of an issue. Um, it is quite interesting, though, I think, about the tour groups, that there are tour groups being announced or supposedly being organized underground to go to the U.S. to get vaccinated, which is something that the government has stated is legal because tour groups are not allowed to operate right now. You know, they cannot block individuals from going to the uh, U.S. in this form. And so that becomes a, a kind of odd phenomenon, I think. That's, uh, I think coronavirus is a very awesome travel. For example, just Take around borders of people that do courier jobs when they go to the U.S. or somewhere else, just bring something back, like a parcel. And that's the kind of industry. And so this coronavirus vaccine travel industry is another odd outgrowth of, of, of the COVID-19 pandemic, I guess. Uh, well, yeah, the number that you cited, uh, 62,000 or so uh, Taiwan uh, citizens who've gotten vaccinated in China, I mean, that is a tiny, tiny number, uh, no matter how you measure it, uh, whether it's a percentage of people from Taiwan who, who are believed to be living and working in China. Of course, that number has probably dropped dramatically uh, compared to years past. Once the pandemic began, a lot of people left China and returned to Taiwan. And, uh, and as a percentage of the population of Taiwan, it's, it's an incredibly tiny number. So I, I wouldn't even call it a rounding error. It's just so tiny. So I mean, if the China government wants to cite that as a success of China's vaccine or a failure of the Taiwan government, it, it's probably not going to get a very popular reception here in Taiwan as, as a political message. Uh, and the number of people traveling to China uh, that was cited, uh, a lot of those people are, are going for business purposes. They're not necessarily getting vaccinated anyway. So uh, you know, the, the mainland affairs, uh, the, the mainland's Taiwan affairs office could, could mention this, but again, I, I don't think it has much much impact on the public here in Taiwan. So we're, we're still on the core issue, which is Taiwan's uh, inability to 
procure vaccines, but I'll, I'm going to have to take exception with it, with one thing that Brian said in his references to donations by the United States to Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. They could afford to pay for it. I don't think the U.S. needs to donate it. And Ross, what about the government here still not actually accepting vaccines from other countries so say you were in america you were vaccinated with a one of the one of the one of the named brands ones in america and you came here with the certification the government here still doesn't recognize that vaccine they're gonna to have to give give away on that because of the number of people who are traveling and brian mentioned the this vaccine tourism industry that's helping people organize flights uh there was media coverage this week about uh charter flights, not just regularly scheduled flights to countries that uh, have vaccine on demand, where you don't have to be a citizen or a resident, or you can just pay for it. Uh, there, and that's the case in, in a number of U.S. states now. Uh, so, yeah, you could see this week when, when uh, reporters at the Daily Press Conference asked uh, the government officials about this issue, the discomfort on their faces, because they, they knew that they're really stuck here. Uh, if we, as, 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 as a planet, basically recognize the efficacy of, of some of these vaccines, uh, the global, global ones, not the Taiwan one yet, uh, but they're telling people that you still need to do a lengthy quarantine when you return to Taiwan or need to uh, wear a mask or scan your QR code everywhere you go, you know, the logic is going to start to fall away. And, and as more people do get the vaccine overseas and return to Taiwan, I think there's going to be some pressure on the government to give way. But then you know, there's going to be this question of fairness. Somebody's going to say it's not fair. It's, you know, it's not fair that, you know, Ryan could fly to the United States and get, get vaccinated, but Gavin couldn't. Uh, but and then Brian could go about his daily life, uh, not scared or, or do all the other measures that Gavin needs to do. Uh, I think the government, they're worried about the political risk of that kind of situation. But again, the logic would seem to dictate that the people who have been vaccinated uh, should be able to uh, go about their business without the same measures as people who have not been vaccinated. And of course, Brian, if that's the case, then the government here would have to recognise the European vaccines, the American vaccines, the Russian vaccines and the Chinese vaccines. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the issues that the government has to deal with going forward. I think the government is being strategically uh, silent on this issue or, or declining to lower quarantines for people that have uh, been vaccinated because of the fact that it's still dealing with an outbreak. Uh, it doesn't want people going out and about right now because of the fact that it's still possible to get COVID-19 despite being vaccinated or to pass it on to people. Um, in that sense, I think that eventually this will happen, but it will probably take place after the current outbreak. I think the world is moving towards that. Um, I think also just the government does not want to encourage a slackening of measures, uh, particularly if some people are suddenly exempt from these measures that the rest of uh, the public has to go through. It's fear that some people will try to sort of blend in with them, to act as though, oh, well, I've been vaccinated. But really, it's just a way to go around and not wear a mask, for example, or something like that. Um, and I think that particularly just because there have been all these cases in which uh, someone defies quarantine and it leads to COVID being passed on to someone that the government is, is trying to avoid right now. Um, but yeah, I think it, it does raise an interesting question of, of where the world is headed right now uh, regarding what it looks like post-pandemic. And so I think Taiwan, because it's been shielded from the pandemic for much of this past year, uh, it's also sort of slow in terms of moving towards these measures. But I think that this occurs with other countries regarding uh, the rates of vaccination now as well. And it will affect their ability to do international business, actually. Um, the countries that have higher rates of vaccinations get back get back to normal. That's incentive for people that have been vaccinated or are doing business or they're 
and so forth. So I think there's also a consideration, actually, economically, that the government has to think about in the future. Uh, we, we, yeah, we haven't solved the problem. And, and the interesting thing here is that we knew this issue would arise, right? We knew uh, that Taiwan's uh, slow, uh, you know, failing ability uh, up until now to, or up until recently, to acquire a large number of vaccines would put Taiwan in this position of, of being an outlier, uh, certainly among more developed countries uh, where, where a large part of the population is not vaccinated. And uh, you do want to return to inbound travel. So you're going to have to uh, appreciate and recognize that people have been vaccinated in other countries and you want your own nationals to be able to resume normal travel. And, and there's going to be this key issue of reciprocity. And uh, it's, your guess as good as mine uh, when we're going to get there for, for people who live here. Uh, we're, we just seem uh, quite far away from that. And uh, it, we, it's come up several times in this conversation how it, it's going to become an economic issue. Right? It's going to become an issue for resumption of normal trade uh, relationships. Uh, we, we can't go see customers or customers still can't uh, come here without uh, very onerous quarantine requirements. Uh, it, it's a big concern. Uh, unfortunately, on this one, the, the relevant authorities still seem to be a bit behind. And before we go this week, and in some economic news, rather, it albeit it, household economic news, there were calls for Thai Power to suspend its summer electricity rate hike in order to help ease the financial burden on people forced to stay at home due to the Level 3 coronavirus alert. Now, the summer rate took effect on June the 1st. However, DPP Caucus Secretary General Lord Jung said that large numbers of people are now stuck at home due to the Level 3 alert, and he said it would be unfair of Thai Power to penalise them by hiking the rates at this juncture in time. And KMT Chairman Johnny Jung also stepped up his calls for Thai Power to suspend the implementation of the summer electricity rates, saying the state generator should not charge people more for electricity as long as the Level 3 coronavirus alert remains in effect. Now, on Thursday, Cabinet spokesman Law Bing Jung said that the government plans to assess the feasibility of suspending the price increase this summer. So, Ross, should Thai Power suspend its electricity summer rate hike because people are stuck at home using obviously more air conditioning uh, i'm not sure if you frame the question correctly because rather that should I, I think the question is probably we are wed because uh, uh, the, the the quote from the cabinet spokesman spokesperson that you just shared indicates that not, not only are they looking into it but i think it's highly likely that there's going to be some kind of adjustment you know what what, what form it takes, whether it's it's reducing the rate or you, you, you still pay the same rate, but you get a credit towards future future bills uh, and how much the amount will be and, uh, frankly, how much financial loss Thai Power is going to need to take. Uh, they're, they're still figuring this out. But uh, unfortunately, and at the risk of being repetitive, I'm going to have to add this to the list of some of the other things we've talked about during the show is uh, what I mean is we knew this issue would come up, right? I mean, the... the, the one could have forecasted this anyway, you know, going back a year, year and a half ago, saying, you know, what if Taiwan uh, has to go into something uh, akin to a lockdown? What does that mean, um, including for uh, the, the day-to-day daily 
you know, living expenses of, of people and families, uh, as well as the cost of businesses. Uh, but but uh, you know, even more recently, you know, as we went from you know the, that. 2.5 uh, on a local level, which Brian mentioned earlier in the show. Then we went to a, a three at the local level, then a national three. Uh, to be talking about this now it just it goes to the slowness of some of the decision making. This could have been uh, decided a month ago, uh, pretty quickly. Uh, unfortunately, it seems to be more political here now, and about who you know, who's going to take responsibility, uh, how what is the actual uh, program going to be. What about the financial losses? Uh, someone just sh- should make a decision. Uh, you know, it, unfortunately, it is a bit of, uh, or a bit more of socialism, right? We're going to provide people with a big subsidy. You know, there, there's a lot of people who already feel that Taiwan's electricity rates are, are relatively low. Uh, but, of course, if you're paying more than you usually do, then it still comes as a bit of uh, what we call sticker shock uh, to get a higher bill than you normally do. Uh, but, but again, I, I'm going to say this could have been resolved earlier rather than you know, now June 18th, and they're probably I haven't made, you know, they're not going to make a decision for a few more days on this, uh, so it's going to stretch out into uh, late June or possibly uh, July. So it, it doesn't say much about the alacrity of government decision-making. Yeah, I think that's one of the issues. I, I, I think that the really backlash from public rates are, are raised, and so I think this might become a, another object of debate. I mean, there's already enough backlash with high power given these power outages, and so it's not exactly going to help the reputation of a company if it's pushing for increasing rates at that present. And I think that's, that's also just points to these long-standing issues regarding Taiwan's power grid um, and just how, in terms of the management of that power grid. Uh, I don't expect that this should be solved anytime soon, but I think it's another it's another issue to decide that you have present. And so I think it kind of has to think about how to play its cards in the future. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined on the telephone today by Brian Hugh. Good night. And Ross, somebody do something fine gold. Have a great weekend. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.